Well, today we leave the Celts behind. It was a great summer with the Celts, um, but we move on to our fall series. Um, it's called Setting Sail, and it's going to be an exploration of what it means to journey with God as a church and in our lives using the imagery of sailing. Now, a little bit backstory to this to this series. Um, <laughs> this series started when I sat down with a piece of paper and I said, what, what does Northminster need to hear? Like, where are we at as a church and what are some of the topics? And so I took out a notepad. I literally wrote down at the top, crap Northminster needs to hear. And I started a list and then I thought, that is not a very good sermon series title. And so uh, I had to sort of parse out, like, how do I say that in a little more, little more spiritual way? And uh, came to this idea of, uh, of setting sail. Now, I'll tell you, if you are not a person that sails, don't stress out. Okay, I've been sailing like two or three times in my life. And so these are not going to be super deep sailing metaphors. Okay, you don't have to be a sailor to understand what we're talking about. Um, but I've always appreciated the imagery of, of sailing. When I was in Erie, I was running an experiential education program. So I was teaching team building and leadership, and, but, but through experience. And one of the things we started to develop was the idea of maybe we could teach this through sailing. We knew somebody that had a boat, and so we went out a couple times to sort of try it, and uh, it just never took off, but, but a couple times I really did go out and sailed around the bay in Lake Erie and, uh, and, and started pulling out metaphors for leadership in terms of sailing. And then later on, a professor of mine named Leonard Sweet had written a book about called Aqua Church, where he uses some of these same sailing metaphors. Uh, that book actually meant a lot to a friend of mine named Graham Standish, who's preached here before. Uh, Graham helped to write the lyrics to the song the choir just sang. Um, but Graham was like, maybe you should use a sailing metaphor. And so that is how we got to setting sail this metaphor of of moving in the future, of sort of journeying with God, of, of mapping and steering and putting up sails. And, and so uh, we'll be a little playful with the metaphor, but don't be too scared if you don't sail. We won't get too deep into sailing. The purpose will be to bring us into this idea of how do we journey with God in our lives and as a church. So today, it's kind of a big picture to introduce the series, and we're going to talk about mapping out a journey. Sailors need good maps. It is essential to go out on a boat to know where you're going. You gotta know, not just a map, you needed a map so that you could see sort of the distances and know how far something was, you had enough food and you had enough supplies, but you also needed charts. Charts were like a different kind of map that would tell you where the depths are and where the winds might come from and how storms move in this area. And so your, your maps and your charts were critical for sailing. And, and, and throughout most of history, like now a lot of times you can get them on like a computer that'll read where you are and tell you all this stuff or you'll, you'll be able to read the depth. But back, there was a time when you had to have that. And if you didn't know that, you were in a lot of danger because you didn't know where the sandbanks were. You didn't know where the reefs were. You, didn't, you needed to know where safety was. You needed to know where the, the winds kind of came from. So your, your charts and your maps were so important. The problem is that they were always wrong. Maps are always wrong. I don't know if you've ever looked at a map of the world and it's like a rectangle. 
But the world is not a rectangle, everybody. Like they have to sort of stretch and move a map to make it fit. So you can see, so a map is always warped. It's always actually a little wrong. And then sometimes the map changes. Or sometimes you sail somewhere and you don't have a map because it's a new place. Now, if you're going to map out a journey, you've got to know two places. And this is true on Google and on an actual map on the seas. You've got to know your location. Where am I? And you've got to know your destination. Where am I trying to go? And if I know where I am and I know where I want to go, I can sort of map how to get there. But if I don't know where I am, you ever read a map and you have no idea where you are? <laughs> the map doesn't help you at that point. Right? If I don't know where I am, that's why when you used to go to amusement parks, you'd go to the mall, there'd be a map, and there'd be this really important star or something. And what would it say? You are here, right? And you okay, there I am. Now I know that. Now, JCPenney, where is that? Tomorrowland is over there, whatever it is. If I know where I am, I know where I need to go. Those are the two essential parts of the map. The journey can change in the middle, but if I got one and I got the other, then I can find my way. So let's begin today with a little bit of you are here. A little bit of here's our location. Here's what's going on in our world right now. The world of our spirituality in our church. And the reality is, everybody, we're kind of off the map. Okay? The world is sort of in uncharted territories. Anybody else feel that? Water feel a little choppy to anybody else? Okay? Like, we don't know where we are. This is uncharted territory. And there's, there's lots of components to this, but let me try to give you a big picture. Okay? The, the reality is that Christianity has lost its dominant position in the West. You should know that. It should be apparent to you. In Western Pennsylvania, it's happening a little slower, but it's happening. Okay, but Christianity has lost its dominant position in the West. It used to be that most people went to church. The question wasn't if you went to church. The question was what church did you go to. That's not the question anymore. The question is now, do you go to church? And if you say you go to church, people will be like, have you had this? People will be like, why? Yeah, not as many, because you're in Western Pennsylvania. <laughs> around the country and around the world, a lot of the question is, why would you go to church? And believe me, that question is coming here too. Christianity has lost its home field advantage. People, most people generally, for most of your lives, knew about Christianity. They knew about the Christmas story. They, uh, they generally felt okay about Judeo-Christian values. Christian leaders were often put on the news to comment on whatever was going on in the world. Everybody, that's over. The home field advantage is over. The crowds are not cheering for churches to be successful anymore. Okay, I remember reading a news story about JFK. We were going to elect him as president. I've told this story before. And the big question was, could we elect a Catholic president? Ooh, scandal. Right? How far have those discussions come? Right? Used to be if you wanted to be the president of the bank, you had to either be, you had to go to church. You probably had to be Presbyterian or Methodist. Okay? And you better be a good standing member of the Presbyterian church or the Methodist church. That's just not, it's just not here anymore, everybody. It's over. There's now pressure, and where there used to be pressure to go to church, now there's pressure to not go to church. Why would you go to church? As a personal example, Okay, when I meet new people, this happens to me all the time. There's an inevitable question that comes up. 
well, what do you do for a living? Okay? And I always am not sure what to say. Like, I'm not ashamed of what I do. But what I know is, if I say I'm a pastor to certain people, I have literally watched people's faces as it changed from this guy seems nice to this guy is weird and I don't trust him anymore. In one word, pastor. What? You're a pastor? I get that too. You're a pastor and I get this like distrust because of what I do. Now, before this move, again, most people went to church, but now there's increasingly a number of people that have never gone to church. Never in their lives gone to church. Now, try to piece this together. There are people that have never heard the Lord's Prayer in town here. They've never, ever sung the doxology. They would not know it. They won't know how to sing those songs. They don't know the tunes. Those are, there's, there's more and more of those people the word offering would be a weird word to them. They've never heard that word. That's, that's the world. And increasingly, there are people that do know those words. They used to go to church, and now they don't go to church anymore. These are lapsed churchgoers, sometimes called the de-churched. I'm reading a book right now uh, called, that just came out called The Great De-Churching. Who's leaving? Why, where, are they go, why, where are they going, and what will it take to bring them back? People are leaving for a lot of reasons. Some are bored. Some are busy. Some don't see church as important in their life. Some just got out of the habit. There's a ton of people that when COVID hit and they stayed home on Sundays in their pajamas, they just never came back. Like a whole slew of people. And at this point, it's very awkward for them to come back. So they're probably never going back. Okay? People just get out of the habit. Some people, it's, it's, it's even worse. Some people have actually gotten hurt by the church. Some people, a lot of people would say that they see Christians as very hypocritical. Others have a real crisis of faith and they, they doubt that this stuff is for real. But I don't have to talk about that trend that much because everybody in here knows somebody who used to go to church and doesn't go to church anymore. And a lot of you, you have kids and grandkids that are in that same boat that are not going to church anymore, that for some reason don't do it. I have had so many conversations with people in this church about I don't know why my grandkids don't go to church. I don't know why my kids don't go to church. This is so important to me. Why isn't it important to them? So how do we understand where we are? Well, I was at the New Wilmington Mission Conference, and there was this, this speaker, Jonathan Hobbs. He teaches at Eastern University and uh, he had this great metaphor for this, real simple metaphor. Um, but, but you can imagine, imagine a, a ball or a large boulder rolling down a hill. And the mission of the church is to keep this ball rolling, keep mission discipleship going. And while we're going downhill, it's a relatively easy process, right? Like gravity is helping the ball down. So what the church could do is just like tap it a little to the right. Tap it like it starts to hit the bump, so it's going this way. Just tap it a little and get it back in line. But generally, the church was moving. Now imagine that the, we get flat ground. Okay, so we're going downhill. It's very easy because the, the ball is rolling. But now we hit flat ground, and all of a sudden, I can't just tap it to the left and tap it to the right. It's starting to slow down, and I've got to start pushing. And I've got to get into a stance where I can push and I start using all these muscles I have never used before. I've got to like start to shove this boulder. I've got to push this ball. The job hasn't changed. 
the terrain changed. Now imagine we start to go uphill, right? Well, now I, this is no, it's hard to steer because I can't even see, and I've got to really like put my back into it. I've got to back and start pushing this thing uphill. Again, the job didn't change. The job is mission. The job is discipleship, is helping people experience God. What changed was the terrain. The ground changed. And all of a sudden, there's muscles that we've never had to use before that suddenly we need a lot of. Right? And, and suddenly we've got to put a little more effort in. And it's not so easy as just tapping this thing into place. We've got to really start to push and guide. And we didn't have to work together that much. We could just keep it going and take turns. But now we've got to all sort of pitch in and keep pushing because now it's harder to move. But the job didn't change. The terrain changed. Now we're uphill instead of downhill. This is what has happened to the church. The world changed. The work of the church is still the same. But the reality is, it's harder to do. It takes a different kind of effort and a different kind of focus. It takes muscles that we've never had to use before. And simple adjustments don't cut it anymore. Nothing comes easy. What I'm actually saying is that it's harder to be a church today. It's more demanding of a church. Now, sure, there's lots of times in history where it's been really demanding for churches. Right. Plagues and persecution. And there's places around the world where it's really hard to be a church. You got to be in secret. So I'm not trying to say like boohoo is really bad, but it's definitely different than it used to be. Church today has to be intentionally crafted to help people experience God, to teach discernment, to explain why we do what we do. We can no longer take for granted that people understand what communion is all about or what we do in worship. And what that means, everybody is not only is it harder to be a church today, it is harder to be a Christian today than it has been in the past. More is demanded of you and I as Christians today. Now, sure, at other times in history and other places around the world, it's really hard to be a Christian. It's really not near as hard to be a Christian now here as it is in like China now or like when, during the plagues or during person, like, yeah. But it's different than it was 20 years ago or 40 years ago, I would say even than 10 years ago. And so we have to step up. You can't just go to church anymore and just consume faith. You have to actually live it. Can't just do ministry in your church. You now are going out this week into a mission field and that is different than it used to be. You need to not just know what you believe, but why you believe it so you can explain it to somebody else. That's a different level of thinking than you've had to have in the past. You need spiritual disciplines of prayer, the strength to be a Christian today, the muscles to push this thing uphill is something you've got to develop because you might never have used those muscles before. Gone are the days when you can just be a nominal Christian. In other words, be just a Christian in name only who goes to church but doesn't live it. Hey, what's one of the big complaints about these people who have left church? Is how hypocritical Christians are. Everybody, we're off the map. We are in uncharted territory. And the old charts, the old maps are not going to work. What got you here will not get you there. Okay? It'd, be, it'd be, like, look, be like trying to drive Pittsburgh today in a map from the 1930s. 
Can you imagine taking an old map of Pittsburgh when it was all these neighborhoods, it was like all these little towns, and now trying to figure it out using the old map in the new roads isn't going to work. You've got to have new maps. You've got to figure it out as you go. We could keep talking about where we are, but I, I, I think we'll, we'll flesh that out more in future sermons. The question then becomes, if we know we are here, then the question is, what's our destination? What are we trying to be? And the problem with that is, it's really hard to tell. It's hard to know what your destination is and where your destination is when you're off the map. When you're in uncharted territory, you've got to figure it out as you go. We don't know. In some ways, we can't know. This is a huge challenge for the church today. I remember my dad, as a pastor, doing strategic planning. And it would be like, okay, we're going to do a 20-year plan for our church. And here's what we're going to do over 20 years. Here's a 10-year plan. Here's what, but, but what's the problem with that? Y'all don't know what's coming next month. Right? Like, like, like a pandemic comes along, and suddenly you're in your house in your pajamas for months. How do you plan for the future in that kind of world? And that is the kind of world we are living in now. It could be a pandemic, social distancing, economic collapse. It's very hard to navigate in uncharted territories where we don't know where the map's going to take us. You have to adapt. You have to grow. You have to work together. I learned this when I, was, when I did do some sailing. It's that you, you can't just sail in a straight line, Right? Like, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to go here to here. I'm just going to... No, you've got to follow the winds, and you've got to follow the waves. You've got to make a million course corrections to get to where you want to go. And everybody, that's hard. It takes a lot as a church to do that. Now, I realize that this may be a little scary. Sailing in uncharted water means there will be a lot of unknowns. There will be failures. There will be wrong turns. It takes courage to be an explorer off the map. And there's a tendency then to just want to stay in the harbor. Like, let's just go back in the harbor where it's nice and safe, okay? And, and we'll just be fine here. We'll just stay right here. We won't go anywhere. But here, here's what I know about sailing, is if a really bad storm's coming, the harbor's one of the worst places to be, okay? The harbor's where all the oceans are. Harbor's where the dock is, okay? Harbor's where we're gonna hit stuff, okay? When there's a storm, you don't want to be in the harbor. You want to be out. You got to be out. The last place you want to be in a bad storm is the harbor. And I see many churches that are trying to do this right now, trying to be in the harbor, hold on to the past, sit back critiquing those who are pushing the rock up the hill, saying, why don't you just, don't you just know you can tap it a little to the left and right? It'll be fine. Not realizing how different the world really is. And what I'm telling you is the churches that do that in this day and age, will cease to be living churches and they will turn into museums. They will turn into museums to the past. And they, they, they don't understand that turning a church into the museum to the past is the surest and fastest way to sink the ship. Okay, that, that's the surest and fastest way to make sure this church doesn't have a future. The only future is for churches who boldly move into those new waters and whose members build the muscle and the knowledge that they need for that journey. And here's what I think about us. I think this is a great opportunity for us. Because I think as a church, we've built some of those muscles 
And I look back at the history of this church, and I see a church that has gone off the, off the, off the uh, uh, map a lot of times. And been creative and been challenging and kept pushing and kept trying new things. How we got to where we are, to be true to our history, is to blaze forward. And we've already done so much. And I'm so proud of you and the work that you've done to do that. And here's the other thing I would say. I, I think our church, I'm going to explore this more, so I'm just introducing. This is just a little taste. I think it, it would be hard for somebody who's never been to church to come into this church. Right? It's just intimidating building, it's intimidating service, whatever. But I think there are a ton of people out there who are de-churched in our community. I think there's a ton of people who have left churches, who are unchurched because they used to be churched and now they're not. And I think our church could be a great church for people to come back to church. I think our gifts and our abilities and our opportunities is right in line with where a ton of people in our community are. And I'm not sure any other churches in our community are really wired to reach people who have de-churched in a way that I think we can. So I think there's opportunity. And let me close with some encouragement from Mark 4. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him in, with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Church, I have read a lot of books and blogs. I have talked to pastors as well as church people who are panicking right now. Who are panicking about what's going on in our world and what's going on with our churches. And to you, I want to say what I think Jesus is saying. I, mean, I think a lot of us are saying to Jesus right now, do you not care that we're perishing? Lord, do you not care that churches are shrinking, that their value is not as important, that, that we're getting older in our churches and I think Jesus can calm the storms. I think Jesus is guiding our voyage. And I think Jesus would say to us what he said to his disciples. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? There are no uncharted waters for the Holy Spirit, everybody. There are no storms that Jesus cannot speak to and calm. We got a pretty good navigator. Right? So let's follow where God leads us. Let's follow where God leads us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.